Amen. Thank you, Brother Bradley. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 is where the, the Apostle Paul is giving exhortations about the Christian life. Depending, depending on the Bible that you read, you may find a subheading that says something like this. Respect for authority, submission to the authorities, or a Christian's duties to the state. Everybody loves to come to church and talk about the government. Amen? This is where we are in Romans chapter 13. In sort of a backdrop, there were a, a group of zealous Jews around this time that did not recognize any authority but God's. They did not recognize a king. They did not recognize an emperor, just God. And their actions would follow that philosophy. They paid taxes only to God. They chose opposition to Roman occupation. They were a resistance group. Jewish nationalism and the law were their only allegiance. Zealots would even turn on their own people who cooperated with the government towards a directive such as a government census. They would reject it altogether and reject those who would cooperate with it. If you cooperate with the government, their thought was that you counter against God. But Paul was teaching to love people. And Paul was teaching to do what is good. Paul was teaching to bless those who persecute you and to be honorable in your living. This leads us to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And verse 1 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Verse 2. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who, do, who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they'll honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So, verse 5, you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Lord, would you teach us today, fathers, we, we, we want to understand how to live in this world, knowing, God, that you have saved us from it. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, that we all surely need. And just ask, God, that you free our mind and our heart from anything that would distract us from hearing what you have to say to us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What do we see in Romans chapter 13? The first thing you'll see is God's supreme authority. Verse 1 says, for all authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. This, the, the, the what, if you will, the what is submission to authority. The why is because God is the source of authority. Therefore, God is the supreme authority. This is where this begins and where we must begin today with the understanding of this passage. That authority is in place because it's been instituted by God. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18, I have been given authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. 
The book of Matthew reveals the authority of Jesus as Jesus is forgiving sins, as he is teaching with all authority of God, as he is doing miracles by the power of God. But at the end of the gospel book of Matthew, Jesus makes it clear while he has demonstrated authority on earth, he has all authority up there and down here. All of it belongs to God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, my father has entrusted everything to me, everything. God has exalted Jesus above all. God has exalted Jesus above every elected official that was, is, and will be. God has, has, has placed Jesus above every forcible tyrant that the world has ever seen or that the world has ever, ever will see. He, Jesus, is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Jesus is the living, eternal God, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. For this reason, listen, a heart, mind, and life devotion to politics or political affairs is a Bush League religion. It is a second-rate idol. God is not working on a country. He is working on a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And when one turns from self and sin and turns to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are not only given new life, clean through the forgiveness of sins, they are also given new allegiance as now they belong to King Jesus. From the moment of conversion for a Christian, Jesus then calls the shots of everything that you do, say, of everything that you think, of everything that you have done and need to stand on for everything that you have done and need to apologize for. Jesus calls the shots on all of those things. And this is why after his declaration of authority, Jesus taught the disciples to teach all of those who would become disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says that I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth and to go and make disciples, to baptize, the, the first thing he gives there is to teach these new disciples to obey. Because Jesus has all authority over our life. When you get saved, you are not calling upon the name of the Savior. You are calling upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is lordship salvation. You are not calling on Jesus just to clean your record. You are calling on Jesus to take you over. So no longer do we operate by our own standards or do we live to accomplish our own purposes or by our own worldviews. So here in Romans chapter 13 is an imperative to the Christian according to the word of our king that we are to submit to governing authority and without condition of political party and without condition of type of government approach. We will all, we'll, let me ask you this question as we explore this today. Will we always be able to respect the man and woman in office? And the answer to that is no. But we must respect the office because the office was created by God, instituted by God. So when we demonstrate submission, we keep the good reputation of God and we keep the good reputation of the gospel. 
This is the general principle. It is a broad exhortation for the church to abide by the laws as government and governing leaders are implemented according to the wisdom of God. So pay your taxes and stop at stop signs and don't take Amazon packages from your neighbor that are not yours. <laughs> These and many other statutes like these are for your good, and they're for the good of others. And to place yourself above them or to reject them is to invite punishment from the authorities that have been instituted by God and to invite even the discipline of God as it is a rejection of his way. It is out of this truth that God is supreme authority, that we can submit to the governing practices of our nation and of our community because we can do so with the reassurance that our citizenship is above. Our king is supreme and eternal, and our king has told us to yield to the governing authorities. When my children are on the field of play or my children are in the classroom, they are governed by a teacher or a coach, and they are subject to their rules. Now, those rules may be what I would put in place or not. Those rules may be what I would desire and what I would create or not, but they are rules of order nonetheless. And it is our will that they cooperate within those rules of order for their good. But they do so at our direction as we have ultimate authority over them. So they play and they learn and they represent our will until it's time to go home. And when it's time to go home, they go home with us because we are their ultimate authority. This is what submission to authority looks like. The what is submission to authority. The why is because authority comes from God. To resist the laws is to resist the governing authorities, is to resist governing authorities, is to resist God who has established government. Now, I am sure, as we have made our way past this point, that more than a few of you are already going, yeah, but what if? Yeah, but what if? And you're already thinking of many scenarios. We're going to get to that, but don't pass on by this one. God has instituted authority, and there's reasons why which we will explore. But to reject authority in the governing body of your community is to reject God's way of doing things. And why does God do it this way? Is because secondly, what you see in the scripture is a call to order. It's a call to order. Romans chapter 13 verse one gives us this all call from the Bible. For believers in Jesus to submit to governing authority as instituted by the Lord for the purpose of orderly living. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for all who would ever believe in him. That includes me and you who are convinced of heart and life, of the identity, the divinity of Jesus. Jesus' prayer for us not to be taken out of the world. We know that, right? That Jesus' prayer was not for us to be removed from the world, but sent into the world, unified and made holy by his truth. Knowing this, while we are not out of the world and we are in it, we must represent the Lord and serve the Lord's purposes while we were here. And one of those purposes is order. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, For God is a God, not of disorder, but of peace, as in all meetings of God's holy people. God does things on purpose. God does things systematically. God does things with structure. And we see this in the scripture for Christian development. We see this for Christian living as it relates to the church, as it relates to the home, as it relates for, to the workplace, and today as it relates to the community. And what do we see? We see that God is supreme authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And we see that God institutes government authority on earth. And we see that God commands his church, the citizens of heaven, to lead the way in abiding by the government for the sake of order on the earth. As a general rule, Christians should be known as good citizens. Now, none of y'all agree with that? As a general rule, Christians should be known as good citizens. When the local government needs to call on somebody that's reliable to help them out, they need to place a phone call to the local church. Governing authorities are purposed to serve and sent for our good. And when people rebel against that authority, they are asking for trouble and asking even for, uh, against God and his consequence. Last week, I was, I was running late to a commitment. It has sort of been a frustrating day. And I, my attitude was bad, so my foot was heavy. Are you hearing me? <laughs> and, and I drove at a greater amount of speed that, than, than what was posted to try to make up time. Just trying to be fully transparent in here, right? I turned left onto a back road toward the highway when a recognizable silver car appeared <laughs> as if from nowhere. He was actually headed towards me, and I was headed towards him. And this silver car, as it got closer, I noticed had blue flashing lights. <laughs> and because he was headed towards me and he was not behind me, he thank thankfully just blue-lighted me as sort of a warning, but also through his windshield, as I slowed down and he did too, he gave me one of these. Like, you better slow it down. So you know what I did? I slowed down. I got the message. Now, I could have, in rebellion, put my foot further on the gas. In rebellion and rejection, I could have, when he did this, I could have been like this. No, right? And just rejected but to do so would to be outside of not just the law, but outside of the way and the will of God that tells me to submit to governing authority. Verse 5 says submission to authority is not just so that you won't be punished, but so that you keep a clear conscience. As a Christian, our citizenship is in heaven. Our Father is in heaven but our residence is temporarily on earth. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it calls us ambassadors that are pleading for people to come back to God. Ambassadors mean that we are official representatives of one land, but we live in another. That we are official representatives of the kingdom, but we serve in this country. And when you study up on the relationship of a foreign ambassador to the foreign country in which they work, 
Listen to this. Ambassador, ambassadors are governed by their home country, but they carry out their work in another country without hindering the receiving state. It's not their desire for an ambassador to make the country that they serve in their kingdom. It is not the desire of the ambassador to, to make the country in which they live in the, the, the place that they would raise above all other flags. It is their desire, though, as an ambassador to influence that country to honor their king. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 teaches us this. To do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Then in verse 18, it instructs us to do all that we can to live in peace with everyone. Verse 21 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. These are the ideas that the scripture presents, honorable and peaceful and good, that precede the passage that we read. We often tend to think that when the government is not godly, that we should rage against the machine to make a difference. But influencing the world, y'all, is not only done through making laws. Does anybody know that? Influencing the world is not only done through legislation. What if we apologize when we're wrong? What, what if we, Christians, keep our covenant relationships sacred? What if we honor those relationships? What if we work for peace? What if we devote our attention to what God values above what entertains us? What if we devote our devotion to what God values instead of feeding our interest? Those things are influential. They make a difference. What if we loved our neighbor? And I might add that if you shake your fist at federal law without making a difference at the local level, at the local level you're a hypocrite. That is hypocrisy. To sit here and complain about the big positions and the overarching problems when we ignore those right around us who have a need and need to see the influence of Almighty God amongst them. If we want to make a difference in our world, I think we read the Word of God and do what it says in the community in which we live. Let's start there. If you would agree with what's been stated up until this point, maybe you don't. The question probably remains... What about when God institutes government, but the government is not godly? And this may be the question of your heart as our country continues to drift from the foundational biblical principles that we believe that it is founded upon. As Again, the truth is, is the vast majority of early generation Americans were Christians. And I understand this viewpoint as our country was never intended to be pagan or godless. But Romans 13 applies regardless of our nation's origins. There's no exception to Romans chapter 13 because we are the United States. There is no exception to Romans chapter 13 because the one true God is in our pledge and on our currency. Understand this. Romans 13 was written when the government was not godly. Romans 13 doesn't assume a godly government. Early Christians that lived, this is Romans, right? Early Christians that lived in the Roman Empire were a part of a polytheistic nation. 
They, they were a part of a nation that believed upon many and multiple gods, not the one true God, not at the time that this was written. This was a culture that recognized human leaders as gods. This is the context in which this was written. In some areas, these were temples. There were temples built by human hands for living leaders in this context. So you can imagine that Christians had very little influence over making a difference from the certain level uh, to a certain to the central level in this context. In truth, the Roman Empire during the writing of Romans was not a friend to Christians whatsoever. And persecution was close. Authorities were often mad and murderous towards any that they see as being divisive. And yet this instruction of God that was written during this time within this authority was for those who are in Christ to be submissive to the governing authorities as God has put it in place. One pastor said, if Romans 13 could be valid in the days of Nero, it's hard to imagine any situation where it would not be valid today. I'd argue, this is just my opinion, I'd argue we'd rather live in this day and this time and this government than that day and that time and that government when you study what the context is. I'd add that Christians in many other countries today live under persecution where persecution is blatant where numbers of Christians are extremely small, where stability for Christians depends upon the day and the leadership of the day. There are churches in the world, Christian churches in the world, that are asked by their governments to submit a report of names for those who are their congregants and their numbers of attendance. That's happening in the world that we live in today. And still, because again, all the questions that you may have in your heart, we've still not answered, have we? What if the government is not godly? There are times when the law of governing authorities directly rivals the living God. There are times when human authorities that have been allowed by God are contradictory to what God would institute. So what do we do? How do we as Christians respond when Romans 13 that we've read, which is clear to submission to governing authorities, and all authority comes from God, what do we do when the government is not godly? Do we riot and do we rebel? Do we take on a crusade and just mow everybody down that opposes us? Do we do nothing at all? What do we do? First of all, we do good. Everybody can take that note, right? We do good. The book ends... And by bookends, I mean the bookends of Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, are the instruction on the front side to conquer evil by doing good, and on the back side, to love one another. We do good. Romans chapter 13, verse 10, if you keep reading, it says, love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Love does. Y'all, listen, if in your heart right now you are thinking love's not powerful enough, just listen to what that sounds like. Love is not powerful enough. Is it not the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? Is not our favorite verse, John 3, 16, for God so loves the world? Is love not powerful? You may ask yourself, well, well shouldn't we vote? Well, I vote. I do vote. 
That's my opinion. The scripture says they'll know we're Christians by our vote. Oh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It says that they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. John chapter 13, verse 35, that's words in red. Should, should we raise up leaders who represent the Lord? Is that something that we should work towards, is raising up people that represent the interests of, of Christ and the values of God? I say yes. And I encourage those leaders to stay before the Lord. And here's why. The Scripture says that God is going to have government anyway. And because we're going to have government, we might as well have godly ones. We might as well have local governing godly authorities and devote our religious convictions and beyond that towards not just the small local government, but the big government and the federal level. We need to do that because God's going to have government anyway. That's my opinion. But again, the body of Christ is not known for political alignment. It is known for service and respect and honor and goodness and love as we represent the supreme God. So what do we do when the government is not godly? We do good. Secondly, what we do is we pray. Oh, that's not enough, man. That's not enough. You just gonna tell us we just need to pray about it? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness. I just wonder if our complaint life matches our prayer life. If our complaint level matches our prayer level. And when a pastor stands before you and says, when the, the government is not godly, what we should do, if he responds, we should pray. If they frustrate you, that means you have way too small a view of prayer. That means you look at prayer like you're saying a blessing when you was a five-year-old. I, I heard a pastor say this one time, 30-year-olds shouldn't be praying three-year-old prayers. We need to realize who we're talking to the supreme authority, that we have an audience of God because he allows it, not because we have earned it. That there's something in the scripture that leads us to know that God connects himself to prayer. As his people are connected to God, we pray. And we entrust God to do things that we cannot. Otherwise, we get the glory. So we pray. We pray for our president. We pray for our legislators. We pray for the state and local leaders. We pray. This is one of those things that's clear in the Scripture. I mean, it's right there. You see, you want to pray for folks when you, they elect the ones that you wanted them to elect. And then all of a sudden we don't when it's not the one that we chose. But we look in the context of Romans, they did not choose this kind of government. Yet God said to them to be submissive as God has set it up this way. So what do we do when the, go the government's not godly? We do good and we pray. And finally, and we'll shut it down, we practice. 
What does that mean? We practice. If there are laws against assembling, if there are laws against praying, if there are laws against preaching the gospel directly, if these things are prohibited, we simply and with godly disposition, we just don't obey those laws. I want to be very careful with that. But when, when God has said to and government says not to, we decide to stand in opposition with a godly disposition. Peter in Acts chapter 5 was ordered never to speak in Jesus' name again. And see, these are the things that if on my heart and we think back to COVID, well, man, we went to live stream on COVID. How come we didn't just keep the doors open? We didn't know what in the world was going on. And also, our governor and local authorities never told us not to preach in Jesus' name. They just said, would you do it differently for a minute? And my word for anybody to make decisions in COVID, in a, I, I would have loved, I, I would love to get everybody together that didn't have to make a decision and hear their opinion. And as soon as you make it, I'll throw it out. That was hard. And everybody that had to make decisions then was hard, but nobody wanted to give up the gospel, and we weren't told to. Peter, again, in Acts chapter 5, he was ordered never to speak in Jesus' name again. That was the commandment given to him. Don't talk about Jesus ever again. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, says that Peter replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were instructed by God not to worship idols. So, they did not worship idols when the central authority told them that they must. That's in Daniel chapter 3. The central authority said, you need to bow down and worship these, and they were like, just not going to do it. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, he was told not to pray to anyone but the king. Nobody, can you imagine? Can you imagine the circumstances of that? Now, everybody in here, from the time being, nobody prays at all anymore except to the king. So what did Daniel do? Daniel went home. The scripture says he prayed just like he always had to the living God. To my knowledge, the scripture implies simply that they faithfully refused when a civil authority required disobedience to God's word. Now listen to this part. They did not grandstand. They refused. They did not pitch a hissy fit. They refused. They did not offer themselves to attention-seeking behavior. They just refused. Their refusal was righteous, and it was not marked by coarse language. It was not marked by compromising their witness for the one true God. They just simply resisted. They practiced their faith. Practicing your faith in and of itself is resistance when the government is not godly. But not to do so to draw a crowd behind them, but to honor the living God. The point is this. Resistance, and if you read what I've read, resistance is very rare because that would mean that the government has gone so far that it takes Romans 13 almost out of play. 
Resistance has a high standard in the kingdom of God. Church in North Alabama, would you hear that? Resistance has a high standard in the kingdom of God. I'm about to take a holy risk for a moment. I hope that we are a church where regardless of political ideology, you can get in this place to hear the gospel. I hope that we are not a church that only wants people of a certain political ideology to be saved. See, we said on Wednesday night in here that a lot of us are getting to the place where all we want, we just want good folks to be saved. Well, you're out of luck on that because there are none good. No, not one. Let us not forget ourselves. Last word is this. Y'all, it's God above all. It is God above all. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Let me read this one more time. For everything, everything, because what followed this was government. Everything comes from him, exists by his power, is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. So what do we do when the government is not godly? We do good. And we pray and we practice because it's God above all. Amen and amen. I look forward to seeing your emails this week. Before you press in, just, can, just read it again. <laughs> just read it again. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, we are not in a place of perfection here. We are a body of baptized believers. People are here today that are seeking to hear from you. So God, if there be anything that I have said, Lord, I pray that you take it away in the hearts of those who hear, Father, that your word may stand, and God, that it would take root in our heart and life. Lord, would our church be a church where people can get in here to hear the truth? May we not be known for anything outside of Jesus. You are the Lord of this church. And God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's ever a time that we need to resist, would you lead us together towards that? But Father, we know what you have written in your word, that you are leading us to be good citizens. And not just so that we can escape wrongdoing or punishment, but so that our consciences would be clean and clear. Lord, if politics is an idol in our life, would you call it out? Lord, if we are watching Fox News or CNN more than we read your word, would you call it out? Would you transform us to represent your glory in this world that we live in? And Father, may we never be found guilty of misrepresenting you or the gospel. And Lord, if we are, would you show it to us and may, Father, we seek your forgiveness with a whole heart. So, Lord, I stand before this church today and I pray, Lord, for our leaders. And I pray, oh God, for our local leaders, those who keep peace, those who make laws, those who oversee.
Father, we pray for all those who are elected and appointed. God, we pray towards the state level and those legislators. Father, we pray for those that are in seats of power that make decisions on a lot of, for over, the, over and above a lot of people. We pray, oh God, that they would also realize that they are subject to the one true God, that they are accountable, Lord, not just to their constituents, but accountable to you, O oh Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for our president. I pray for our Congress. I pray for people on both sides of the aisle. I pray, oh God, that we would not take our cue for living and dying from people on both sides of the political spectrum. But God, we would seek you, Father, to direct our path. We don't pray to any person, but we do pray for those, Lord, who sit in positions of authority. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would grab hold of their heart. Lord, on both sides of the aisle, Father, that people would begin to think not of themselves, but to think about the one true God. You are holy, and you are real, and you are living, and you have worked, are working, and will work, Father, for your glory. And may we understand that this nation is one of many nations, O oh God, for your heart is after the nations, Father, seeking to glorify yourself above any country but, Father, you deserve not the glory from just one place, but from all places. Lord, I just pray, Father, that the desire we have for good to be restored again, that we would understand that that begins with us right here as we represent your glory in the local church. Thank you, O oh God, for your mercy and grace. We ask, O oh God, now that for those who are struggling about what to do next. Lord, if there are next steps, Father, the understanding that you are supreme, you are God, you are over and above. God, you do love. You have made a way for forgiveness to be clean from sin and stand right with you for all eternity. God, I pray today is the day that we recognize it's not any more uh, earthly authorities that we need. It's you, O oh Lord. It is you. And God, if we realize that in our heart today, Father, that we would simply turn from ourselves and our sin and seriously call upon your name to forgive us, to be our Lord and our Savior. Lead us forward, Lord, as we truly desire to honor you in this church and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This altar is open for you, open for you to come and pray. We have decision counselors for you today. If you'd like to join the church, if you need to be baptized, if you need to be saved, and that's your next step. We have people here that want to talk with you. We'll talk with you afterwards. You can fill out the card and place it in, or you can come talk to us now. But know that this altar is open for you to come and talk to the Lord.